electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, the most important tax rate for investors shooting up to the highest in American history and in the world. CNBC's wealth reporter Robert Frank on the proposed capital gains hike that spooked the markets. We will get a rush to the exits for stocks, for assets, for small businesses, for anyone that has an asset that is appreciated in value. And input on the hike's impact from Republican and Democrat lawmakers, Representatives Nicole Maliotakis and Josh Gottheimer. I am concerned also about the tax increases, which certainly stymie investment at a time where we need private sector investment. We all agree that double taxation is wrong, that our states have gotten whacked. Is the Oscar buzz quieter than usual? Media journalists Ed Lee from The New York Times and Sarah Fisher from Axios. The Oscar telecast, you're right, it's not just a pandemic thing. For years, the audience has been declining. I think it peaked in the late 90s at like 60 million viewers. Die Hard, even the Lin-Manuel Miranda film that's supposed to come out, got pushed. When you push the theaters out of award season, what you're left with is a bunch of dramas. Those stories and what do you want to ask Warren Buffett? Inflation, maybe? Or ESG investing? Or how about crypto? Warren called it Rap Poison Square. Now, that was a few years ago. Don't know how their views have shifted over time, but we'll get the chance to ask them. Plus, we need help from you, our listeners. You can support the podcast at webbyawards.com. It's Friday, April 23rd, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And it is no quiet Friday here. You're not going to go easy into the weekend. Just a day after a tax hike rumor caught markets by surprise. The Dow, the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq each fell by about one percent after multiple media outlets reported that President Biden will seek to raise taxes on millionaire investors to fund education and other spending priorities. Part of that plan reportedly includes an increase on capital gains from 20 percent. And by the way, this is for long term capital gains from 20 percent to nearly 40 percent for those who are earning more than a million dollars. We're going to get you to Washington for the latest on that plan in just a moment. But uh, let's take a look at where the futures stand this morning. After that sell off yesterday, markets have digested some of this news and, and kind of pushed a little further ahead. The Dow, by the way, yesterday suffered its worst day that we've seen since March 4th. Let's get to uh, Washington and reports of a potential hike out of the capital gains tax that's, uh, tax that sent uh, a shockwave through Wall Street. Elon Moy has more on this story. Got to tax somebody, I guess, Elon. If we aren't taxing corporations, it's, it's going to be hard for some people to totally push back on this. But we'll talk. Yeah, well, Joe, I think that the Biden administration wants to do both. The news that President Biden plans to raise taxes on the rich to pay for the second phase of his infrastructure plan also opened some old wounds over on Capitol Hill. Now, Biden had long promised to undo many of the tax cuts that Republicans put into place in 2017, including restoring a top tax rate of 39.6 percent. 
Biden had also pledged to tax capital gains at that same rate as ordinary income for households making more than a million dollars. But investors really got spooked once Bloomberg reported that Biden will make good on that promise when he rolls out his American Families Plan next week. Now, coupled with an existing but separate tax of 3.8 percent on investment income, that would bring the total tax rate on capital gains to 43.4 percent. The top Republican in the House Ways and Means Committee, Kevin Brady, called this move an economic blunder. The reason we tax capital gains less is because unlike just spending your money or putting aside for savings, this is riskier. But the rewards to the American economy and to your future are higher. But so far, Democrats have been pretty unified on this idea. A spokesperson for the Ways and Means chairman, Richie Neal, said that he wants to make sure the wealthy are paying their fair share. And guys, that this is just the beginning of the dialogue. Back over to you. Love that fair share. Love that. Love that. I just like saying it, the fair share. Uh, but what about makes a difference, Elon? And I just don't know retroactive. Yes, no, because... There's a lot of people, obviously, you look at the stock market, what's it up in the last year? There are people that have some very big gains. Million dollars is a lot of money, and it's a, it's a small percentage of people. Uh, but um, I, I would think if it was not going to be retroactive that you could see a lot of people take profits. If it's going to be retroactive, I don't know what you do, but uh, any idea whether, I mean, the whole thing may, yeah. might be a I, long I shot. I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't know where they're going to land on that. I mean, I think, Joe, when you look at the way that they would structure this, you know, tying it to the uh, top uh, income tax rate, uh, to me, it seems like that would be hard to make that retroactive because then you're trying to, you know, tax this year's income as well at a different rate. So that may be logistically difficult, but uh, certainly I think there are a lot of details that are left to be figured out. Uh, but I think the main point here is that you've got to think about what this is for, right? They're tr- doing this partly because it's a philosophical issue, but also partly because they need to raise revenue to pay for a spending plan. So part of this is also going to be driven by how much money do they need to come up with in order to uh, minimize or get rid of the deficit impact of what they will roll out in terms of spending. Elon, I, I had two questions. One is, is maybe a technical one because there seems to be lots of confusion about how it works insofar as typically when there's a capital gains rate on your capital gains, if that's moving to 39 percent or 40 percent or 43 percent, that would be one thing. This is the first time we've ever had a situation where at a certain total collective uh, income, it seems like, that a new rate kicks in for part of your income. Right. I mean, that, that and those are two different things. One would be, uh, you know, a, a new capital gains rate on money over a million dollars. But uh, but that's not capital gains over a million dollars. It's collective over a million dollars. So if you were to make I'm making this up seven hundred thousand dollars in ordinary income and then right. another, let's say, five hundred thousand dollars in capital gains, it sounds like and you tell me. The first $300,000 are still taxed at the old rate. The next $200,000 are taxed at the higher rate. I mean, we've never done taxes like so, that. Yeah, so, but you're, you're, you're bringing up a good point, Andrew. And the truth is, I, I don't have clarity on that. I've asked that exact question myself um, and have not gotten a clear answer on, you know, does the million-dollar threshold apply to just the gain or does it apply to just income or does it apply to some combination of both? Um, I. Right now, we're trying to figure out exactly the details of this. What I will say, though, is that, you know, it's not President Biden who's going to be writing the laws. It's going to be Congress. 
and that we do know that Senator uh, Ron Wyden, the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, one of the committees responsible for sort of putting tax legislation into place, is going to come out with his own plan for capital gains in the coming days or weeks. So we might see some greater level of detail once uh, congressional uh, leaders start getting involved here. But right now, this is sort of uh, a blueprint for how Congress could act. Um, and it is one that they say is is targeting the rich. I mean, they're very clear about who they're going after here and why. What are you hearing in terms of rumbling on Capitol Hill with this? Yeah, I, I do think that there is a lot of consensus in the Democratic Party about uh, where the top rate should be and that capital gain should be treated as ordinary income. To me, it seems like the SALT debate is a separate question, even though, to the point that you guys have been making, you know, sort of the combined effective rate would be extremely high. I think that the other argument that Democrats would make is that there certainly are other taxes that apply to ordinary income as well, including the payroll tax, for example. And we're not adding that up um, in our calculations of how much, you know, a middle income earner might make. So, yeah. you know, investment income uh, has been unique in that it wasn't subject to some of these other taxes. Uh, once you add in the Obamacare surcharge, et cetera, it does seem as if there is a penalty toward investment income. But again, Democrats argue there are other taxes that are taken out of ordinary income. And that's part of the problem is that, uh, you know, workers and investment have not been treated the same. Well, but I understand we need to pay for things. The infrastructure plan from the Republicans is $568 billion. Uh, that's significantly less than the $2.3 trillion, which is significantly less than the $10 trillion that the far left would like to spend tilting at windmills, actually building windmills to tilt at windmills. So, you know, while China and India continue to pollute, you know, and use coal, you know, going gangbusters. So whether we actually want to spend two, three, four, five trillion dollars and then pay for it by fairly taxing people that have money. Um, anyway, that should say commentary down at the bottom. But, uh, you know, we only have to pay for what we spend. We haven't spent it yet. So there's still hope. Thank you, Elon. Next on Squawk Pod, more on the proposed tax rate that's spooking investors with Representative Josh Gottheimer. It's just brutal, and we need to look for ways to actually make things more affordable. And Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis. I am concerned also about the tax increases, which certainly stymie investment at a time where we need private sector investment to get America back on track. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod. Reports uh, of a possible hike in the capital uh, gains tax 
uh, to the highest in U.S. history, striking fears in the markets. Robert Frank has more possible investor impact. Did, I mean, when you picked the tax beat, did you know something, Robert? I mean, did, did you know? You're like a growth stock. You're like, you're like a meteor. I mean, you, are, you do not go anywhere. You're the, you are the key man life insurance dude of CNBC right now covering taxes. Look, I, I know that for our audience and the, most audiences, you know, taxes matter. And so I've, I've been following those for good over place a decade. To be, yeah, and, good and, place and, to be right now, Robert. Good, <laughs> God. Yeah, look, I, and, and, and this tax is the most important for investors, uh, which is why we saw that market reaction yesterday. And a 43.4% total rate would be the highest capital gains rate in U.S. history and the highest in the world. Biden's proposal to raise that top rate uh, for capital gains from 23.8% to 43.4% when you include that Obamacare surtax would make the first time that capital is actually taxed higher than ordinary income. So who is most effective? What only applies to those with income over a million dollars. So that's about the top 1.5%. But that group gets about half of their income from capital gains and capital gains income is easily shifted. So the tax foundation says that on its own, this tax hike would actually reduce government revenue by $123 billion over 10 years. And because business owners and investors would sell in advance of any increase to avoid that higher rate, basically you would get a huge avoidance before that tax. Now, the combined state and federal rates would be a record in especially high-tax states. California, wealthy tech founders or investors who sell stock would pay a combined rate of 56.7%. In New Jersey, it would be 54.1%. And in New York City, the top combined tax rate on capital gains would be 58.2%. It makes a difference. Could you do it retroactive? If you're not, people are going to sell. It is rare. Yeah, it is so rare on a state or federal level for any tax legislation to be retroactive because it's not just hard politically, it's hard logistically. And yes, we will get a rush to the exits for stocks, for assets, for small businesses, for anyone that has an asset that is appreciated in value. And and by the way, if this is coupled with a elimination of the step up in basis, uh, that anyone who has a lifetime gain in any asset or stock will want to sell this beforehand. And that's why you'll get a big jump in revenues beforehand and a big drop afterwards. We keep, we keep saying it's only a million and more in income, but people that don't make a million dollars that hold stocks, if, everybody, if all those other people with the big positions are selling, it's gonna, their stocks are going to go down too, Becky, I think, right? I, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah. We'll have a job. And, we and have retroactively, a- can, can be done. It's, I mean, it was done in New Jersey last year on, on, on wealthy people there. They raised the income taxes, state income taxes, at the end of the year, made it retroactive all the way to January 1st. So they took a big chunk out of everybody's things. You know, we've seen it happen, especially if you're saying that if you don't make it retroactive, people are going to find tax ways to avoid that tax. You can absolutely see how that might be the case. Anyway, Robert, thank you. And joining us right now with more about the capital gains and their recently formed bipartisan SALT caucus is New Jersey Congressman Josh Gottheimer, also New York Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis. We should point out that Josh is a Democrat, Nicole is a Republican, but they have come together on this issue that's pretty important to both of their states. Um, you both heard what Robert just laid out. Because of the SALT cap, in your state, Josh, it would be 54.1% that, that wealthy residents would be paying. 
on their capital gains. And Nicole, for you in New York City, it'd be 58.2 percent. How do you feel about that, Josh? Not good. I mean, I, I, I think uh, we, you know, we, of course, haven't seen the actual proposals yet. We're just hearing some early signs of numbers. But I'll tell you, these numbers are too high. You know, as we've talked about before, Becky, given how uh, high taxes are uh, and, and how hard we've been hit uh, post uh, what they did to gut salt in states like mine and, and Nicole's, uh, it's just brutal. And we need to look for ways to actually make things more affordable. Um, we're losing people and jobs in my state. This is a salt is an issue that's really hit the middle class very hard in my district, given the fact that uh, in Bergen County, the average property tax is $15,000. You you look at, at other states like Alabama, it's $500. Um, so you understand why states like ours have been hit so hard and people, families hit so hard. So the idea of raising taxes more just doesn't make any sense to me. Josh, there's, there's a thin majority in the House. Um, would you vote for this proposal to take those higher taxes, like we're hearing, if this is the proposal, granted, this is just a proposal at this point, but would you vote for this? Would you support this if SALT was not reinstated? Well, what I've said pretty clearly is if, if they change the tax code that affects families in my district, uh, and, and, and that's what they go forward with, and it raises taxes in my district and does not include any SALT so that actually taxes go off, I'll be against it. You know, I have to see this proposal. Like I, I, I try to actually see a proposal before I come in fully. Um, but I'll just tell you, um, these kind of numbers and, and the numbers that were just reported of how it affect my state would have huge damage to jobs and families in my state and, and is, is very, very concerning. Nicole, let me ask you the same. Obviously, you're not going to vote for this. You're with the Republicans. It only matters if you get a big chunk of the moderate Democrats who vote against this. But your governor has been pretty um, clear, Governor Cuomo, that he expects you all to deliver on this. He wants you to go to back to Washington and fight to have salt reinstated. But he's doing this at the same time that he's raising taxes on those very same New Yorkers. What do you say? Yeah, and, and that's the hypocrisy. Uh, we certainly want to see the salt restored. It is incredibly important to the people that live in my district of Staten Island and Southern Brooklyn. They have seen their property tax increased by Mayor de Blasio well over 50% since he's been in office. So it is critically important, but it is not a license for our mayor and our governor to continue raising taxes. And that is the concern here. New York City is the only municipality in the state of New York that does not have a property tax cap. As a state legislator, I've been pushing and pushing for that. And now as a member of Congress, what I can do is provide relief to that middle class by reinstating SALT. And it is important, $26 billion over New York pays to the federal government more than it gets back. You know, the average state gets back about $1.21. We get back about $0.90 cents for every dollar that we give the federal government. So it is critically important. But I am concerned also about the uh, tax increases that you mentioned would certainly stymie investment at a time where we need private sector investment to get out of uh, get 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 America back on track. Uh, and so we don't want to discourage that. And that's something that we have to be looking at and be thoughtful about as well. Nicole, most uh, pundits will tell you right now that they don't think it's very likely that the salt cap tax will will be changed, that it will be lifted. Um, what some people have put forward is the idea of a compromise. Why not double the, the baseline? What, would you be in favor of something like that? Well, look, I'm going to keep an open mind going forward. Uh, quite frankly, I think the salt should have been restored in the a pandemic relief package, if they were going to give New York $50 billion, both uh, combined to the city and the state, it would have made more sense to give a portion of that uh, money directly back to the taxpayer. Sadly, that didn't come to 
fruition, although multiple members had talked about it. Uh, but going forward, uh, we just have to see how we can work together. I think it's a great start that, you know, we're finding bipartisan support for SALT. And you do see Democrats uh, holding out and saying they're not going to support uh, any type of package without SALT in it. Uh, look, with a margin of just five votes, that is the slimmest majority that uh, Democrats have had since World War II. And so it really gives an opportunity for us to work in a bipartisan fashion. And I hope that this is just the beginning of the conversation. Hey, Josh, let's, let's go back to that point, because we, we know that the White House has reached out to, to the Senate and to Republicans there for their ideas on some sort of bipartisanship. Have you had talks with the White House about this? Where, where do things stand? And to this point, I mean, we, we've said that President Biden was going to be moderate. He was going to be bipartisan. We haven't seen any signs of that just yet. Have you? Sure. I was there with, uh, you know, as you know, I co-chair a group called the Problem Solvers Caucus. Uh, a group of us from the caucus mm -hmm. were at the White House just last week talking about transportation, infrastructure, looking for ideas where we can find a bipartisan path forward. I'm actually in uh, Maryland today in Annapolis with governors and senators and members of Congress and the problem solvers from both parties working on a bipartisan deal because I think we need to find one. And I think it's and I think it's there. We just have to keep working toward it. And, and I know the White House is eager for us to do the same. And I think Nicole made a very important point, which is there is bipartisanship to be had here. Obviously, we're working together on SALT. There are 32 members of, of this new uh, SALT caucus, people from across the country, and not everyone the same ideologically, but we all agree that double taxation is wrong, that our states have gotten whacked, that, as Nicole pointed out, that the, the red states, the moocher states, you know, uh, have continually made us and the blue states pay their bills, and that you, you can't just turn around and hit us with more taxes. We need actual tax cuts for our families, for our hardworking middle-class families. Otherwise, we keep losing people, and Nicole's facing the same issue. People keep moving out, and uh, New Jersey is the number one out-migration state for the last three years since they gutted SALT. So this is a this is a really critical moment for us. We're going to keep fighting for it. And at the same time, we could, well, I really believe we can bring Democrats and Republicans together around infrastructure, around transportation, and get a deal done. But it, it's, it's just going to take us continually to focus on it and working together. Josh, Nicole, I want to thank you both. And please give us updates on what's happening here. We're very eager to hear more about it. It does matter to our viewers. Appreciate it. Thanks thank so you. much. Coming up on Squawk Pod, get your questions ready. It's Ask Buffett season. And it's also awards season. Hollywood is prepping for a dramatic Oscars evening. Axios media reporter Sarah Fisher. These dramas are super compelling. I encourage people to see them, Nomadland Minari. But you're right, they are super depressing. People want to see their favorite actors who they know really well, their favorite themes and storylines, some sequels. And here in the podcast world, we've got an award season of our own. Our podcast, Squawk Pod, now Webby nominated. All that right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. 
Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin, along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Disney says it's sold out of ad inventory for, uh, for Sunday night's Oscars. Uh, ad rates continue to rise even as viewership expected to continue its decline. Joining us right now is Ed Lee, New York Times media reporter. Also, Sarah Fisher, Axios media reporter with us as well. Uh, Ed, let me start with you. What are we expecting? I mean, the Oscars almost every year, you know, the ratings have continued to decline. What does it say about uh, the movie business long term at this point? Uh, you know, the movie business has become sort of like this, you know, extreme thing, right? You've got um, sort of big blockbuster sort of co- comics movies on one end and then, you know, smaller movies at the other. There's no more of this middle. There's no more, you know, we're not seeing as much of sort of the Tom Hanks sort of, I guess what you call middle brow type movie that that actually does well at the box office. So, you know, even the product itself is so extreme. And I think, you know, that it's reflected in the award seasons in terms of what's been what's been winning over the last few years. And I think the country just the mainstream just kind of tunes out of that a bit. Sarah, though, but what is going on? I mean, I don't know if you saw Bill Maher maybe a week or two ago where he said, look, every movie that that's nominated for an Oscar you know, makes you depressed and, and, it, and typically have been considered smaller movies. What, what is happening? Well, you'll remember a lot of the big movies, think about something like a Die Hard or even the Lin-Manuel Miranda film that's supposed to come out, got pushed later into 2021 because the movie studios wanted to make sure that they could actually make some theater revenue. Well, when you push the theaters out of award season, what you're left with is a bunch of dramas. Now, these dramas are super compelling. I encourage people to see them, Nomadland Minari, But you're right. They are super depressing. They're super down. And that could be drawing people away. You know, people want to see their favorite actors who they know really well, their favorite themes and storylines, some sequels. They want to see that stuff being represented. That's what's going to cause them to tune in. And so it wouldn't shock me if viewership just plummets because people don't even have awareness of what's being nominated this year. But this is not just a problem this year. This is not a pandemic issue. This is a problem that's been going on. Uh, frankly, for for a decade, uh, Ed, and I can't I don't really understand what's going on in terms of the Academy, in terms of how it thinks about these films. And also, I'm assuming it effectively devalues, um, you know, what a win really looks like in terms of how much I mean, used to be that Oscars were used to market films. That's what was that's what part of what was happening here. And that boost doesn't seem to happen anymore. The boost doesn't happen anymore. You're right. But they're still essential to the economics of Hollywood in terms of attracting creators to studios. Right. So like Netflix spends a lot of money actually now marketing its movies to to, you know, for Oscar nominations. Right. Because they know that, you know, people they're not going to want to work with Netflix no matter how much they're paying them if they're not going to back those their their projects for awards. So these guys, they still want the awards, even if people aren't watching the award ceremonies. And, you know, the Oscar telecast, you're right. It's not just a pandemic thing. Um, for years, the audiences have been declining. I think it peaked in the late 90s at like 60 million viewers. Last year, it was like 23, 24 million when Parasite won, which was a, a, a very, very interesting year if you think about it in terms of it's a foreign film that won, you know, Best Picture, and that rarely happens with the Oscars. So, you know, again, it's, it, it, it speaks to what Hollywood wants, the economics of Hollywood. But in terms of the country, in terms of, you know, where it's at, it's just... It's been such the country's so fractured. Right. The other thing that, that right. you know, I found is that, you know, when people when, when all the political speech that happens um, in these awards uh, uh, sort of acceptances, people tend to tune out. You know, so, again, you know, in a divided country, politically divided country, any right. kind of political speech tends to uh, sort of turn people away as well. 
Sarah, how much, though, is this a function, frankly, of Netflix? The economics for a Netflix film is so very different than, than the old economics insofar as you, they don't necessarily need to reach a massive audience. They just need to reach enough of an audience each film to make sure that you stay subscribing. And what does that do to fracturing effectively the sort of common experience that we've all lived, uh, at least in these past generations? Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. It goes back to what Ed was saying at the beginning, where it carves out the middle ground of movies. So now you have a situation where you have a bunch of sort of the, you know, low barrel Netflix type of films that just get put out on streaming services to get people not to churn. And then you have the high impact stuff, typically action and adventure films that you go to theaters to see, put a ton of money behind to see because they're really cinematic. And the fallout of that in between, sorry if you hear sirens in the background of my window, means that you're just not going to have as many sort of indie films and dramas in theaters anymore. Sarah, um, we hope everybody's either okay or if you need bail money uh, for a little bit later, uh, you you know the phone number to call. Uh, Ed, thank you. Appreciate it. Berkshire Hathaway is going to be holding its annual shareholder meeting on Saturday, May 1st. And while it once again will be a virtual presentation this year, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger will be together. They'll be taking questions for more than four hours and they'll be joined by Vice Chairman Ajit Jain and Greg Abel. Berkshire shareholders, while you can't be at the meeting in person this year, it's not too late to get your questions in. You can send them to BerkshireQuestions at CNBC.com. I'll be reading through those questions and we'll ask as many as we can possibly get to. Again, that email address is BerkshireQuestions at CNBC.com. And guys, this is interesting this time around because with the one exception of when Warren Buffett came on with us with David Solomon to talk a little bit about small business, he really hasn't spoken since last year's annual meeting. There's been a lot that's happened since then. <laughs> it boggles the mind. Understatement uh, of the year. Yeah. yeah. Boggles the mind. And, and you don't even have to talk about that. It's talk about GameStop. Uh, Reddit. Just, just, and, and just start there and go. And there's about a you know, couple of dozen other things. Uh, that, should be, that should be interesting. Just the overall MMT. I mean, we, we're fully engaged. Woo! MMT. Inflation. Full, yeah. But, uh, Inflation, you know, yeah. all of the ESG stuff. I think, you know, what's happened over the last year with that is going to be a huge, huge issue. I imagine people will be, be asking, asking about that. Crypto, right? Well, we know what they, Charlie, what it's the crypto, right? rat shih tzu or something. What do you call it? Rap, rap, rap poison squared. Oh, I, rap think. Poison rap, square. I think he called it rat poison and then Warren called it rat poison squared. Now, that was a few years ago. Don't know how their views have shifted over time, but we'll get a chance to ask them. Again, these are questions coming from shareholders, though, so we don't get to make up the list. I, I will say, going through the questions, the one that I've seen most frequently that's come up so far has been inflation. Yeah. Market. You know, he, 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 we know what he says when you ask him about the market. He, he said, I wouldn't tell you about it today or tomorrow, but I can tell you right. that, you know, we know the, the way to put it is. I mean, it's up 90 percent since we talked to him, the Nasdaq anyway, isn't it? Probably. And we have some special news for you podcast listeners. Squawk Pod is nominated for a Webby. Recognizing the best of the internet for 25 years, the Webbies are run by the International Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences. We are in the podcast individual episode special category for diversity and inclusion from our coverage of the civil rights protests last year. 
and there is a public vote component, which is where you come in, you can help us win a People's Voice Award. Go to webbyawards.com. That's webby, W-E-B-B-Y, awards.com, and vote for us, Squawk Pod. If you follow us on Twitter, we'll tweet out the direct link for you to vote from there as well. If you love Squawk Pod as much as we do, uh, we hope you'll help us try to win. And that's the show for today. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our podcast this week, as always. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.